Hello, and welcome to Going Off Track. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> what did you say? Assalamu alaikum. Uh, the voice you heard was Stephen and Brad. At the same time. At the same time. Saying no, different things correct. in different languages. Yes. I don't know what ear hole that's coming through, but I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Today on Going Off Track, our guest is Brian Keith Diaz, um, who you may know as a member of the reunion show in Edna's Goldfish who is now a full-time tech and has worked with Fallout Boy, Anthrax, so many bands. Uh, Did you work with Prince and Guns N' Roses? Guns N' Roses, oh yeah. Guns N' Roses was a big one. Um, Motion City, a lot of bands. And he recently wrote a book about those experiences called A Thousand Miles to Nowhere. That you can purchase right now. That you can purchase. We'll have a link on our site to get Brian's book. And it's a memoir of... Uh, his crazy adventures, which I would imagine touring with Guns N' Roses would give you a lot of. I think it's funny that a lot of the bands that you think would be the craziest turns out aren't. Mm-hmm. Like, didn't a uh, friend of ours, Brad, said that Tommy Stinson told him that, yeah, I'm in Guns N' Roses and their placements, and you won't believe uh, who yeah. the bigger freak is. Yeah, and <laughs> a lot of my friends, yeah, I feel like a lot of my friends who are in bands that seem pretty tame... You go on tour with them, and you're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, these dudes really know how to rage. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it is interesting. You never know. You never know. You never know. But Brad, Brad when's your book coming out? Yeah. <laughs> Brad's book is never coming out. When my out. children become teenagers and don't talk to me anymore, and then I have time to write it. And you're not going to remember anything. I know. I, mean, we know. I know. I should take notes. Start writing it down now. Or start writing it down 10 <laughs> years do, ago. I did. I was smart enough, although I missed some of the best years, but I, I kept a journal kind of during some of the heyday of some of these stories that you've heard parts of are actually accurately portrayed in my journal. I can go back for reference. Jonah, do you keep a journal when you go on tour? No, I don't. I keep should. a journal. If you're in a band, even if you're not in a band, dude, it's so it's helpful just from a reference point of view. Like, yeah. I mean, when I was in the, you know, I started keeping it. I mean, I had it for a lot of the touring and I'd go, it'd be good to go back and just reference like where you played and what city, you know, like it was just good for actually for business reasons. You know, what's crazy is my band, my old band, the love kill has a website that's still active. We broke up in like 2006, but there's a tour section. And for some reason we listed, we just, when we got new shows, we listed it. We never deleted any. So there is literally a list of every show we've ever played, which is, I don't know, like maybe like 60 or 70 shows. Um, Europe here, went to Europe twice. But it's so crazy because I'll be talking to someone. I'll be like, oh, is this place? And they're like, oh, yeah, I played in Bloomington, whatever. And they're like, oh, like where? I'm like, hold on. And I'll go to the site and pick <laughs> this place. And they'll be like, no way. Like, and it was us with like some band that it, like the Gaslight Anthem or something. And it's like, I totally forget about it. But it's like a really cool reference to have. Oh, yeah, definitely. Jim Henson had a, a journal and I, I just finished the biography of him. Is it good? The biography is amazing. Yeah. And they talk about, they give him access, the writer to the journal, the biographer. And sometimes the journal is just one sentence. It'll be like, met with Disney. Yeah. <laughs> but he'll have it like underlined. But like, that's like this huge thing. Yeah. So even if it's just a few words, it's no, good. No, for real. Even if you're just meeting with an obscure company like Disney. Are, are you guys familiar with method, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, method of, of loci, method of loci, loci? Not I. Nope. It is for those of you Sherlock fans out there. Um, he has a there's a the lot one of the last episodes. He talks about his mind palace. In fact, backstage at our wonderful live show that we did, Janine Grafel and I, made it, she was like the memory palace. We were talking about Sherlock, and it's actually a real thing of people who remember everything, and it's a way of <clears throat> uh, recording like in your head locations by in your brain. I'm ruining this, but like. Say you have a house in your head and in different rooms of the house, you remember certain things and they're like memory competitions of people who remember numbers and digits. And there's a guy who's committed 600 digits of pi to memory that he can do in order and go because of the certain memory technique. Oh, I, yeah. Committing some, like you're talking about committing like a physical sort of space to a memory. Yeah. It's like you're, you're these people, you've found yeah, a way I've to unlock parts of your brain. Right to remember things which i'm fascinated i remembered just that and what, what room was that in I what was, color was it what was the i was curtains i like? was sitting in the car 
bored, waiting to pick up my wife from the train, learning about memory, ignoring my children. That's what I was... No, I'm sorry. They were listening to the Frozen soundtrack, which I don't know if you are familiar. Brad, perhaps you are. I know somebody that knows every word. Yes. Every song. I'm so glad I have no idea what you guys are talking about. (laughs) You should. You should be thrilled at this. I never do. We watch it daily. (laughs) Watch it every day, and then we listen to it a number of times. We don't even have the DVD, and she somehow knows it. I think they they corrupt each other at school. Uh, I... uh, Disney released it on iTunes while it was still in the theater. Mm. And Trish went, might as well just download it. And I did. Showed it to the girls every day. The snowman? <laughs> ah, youth. Boy, Speaking we are so far off track. I don't know who today's guest is. <laughs> Brian Diaz. Brian yeah. Diaz. Brian Diaz. Tech to the stars. And I can only imagine what it must be like to be on tour like a younger band and then go back and tour with again when they're a little older like Fall Out Boy. Yeah. And see the changes. Brian's been around for a long time, so let's let him take us away. It's going on track! Today on Going Off Track, our guest is Ryan Diaz. Hello. Who you may know from the reunion show. Reunion Ed- show, maybe. Edna's Goldfish. Possibly. Um, or his work with teching for Fall Out Boy. And... Um, uh, literally, I've, I've probably, if you have a guitar, I've probably it's true. worked on it or What other, it. Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses, Who else? Anthrax, Primus, Sum 41. Um, I did a couple things with Plain White Tees. Remember those guys? I do, I do. <laughs> Everyone remembers them. I remember them. Eileen mostly. Mostly Eileen <laughs> yeah. remembers them. Um, yeah, did that. I've been doing this for... So long, so very long. Yeah, <laughs> just it just feels like forever. You're like, you're like, where did the time go? You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you just wrote a book, and I just wrote a book, and I'll, and you know, a lot of people f- were pressing me to do this. They're like, you have all these stories from all these years of touring, and uh, I was like, no, I no, I don't. Like, just, like, just start writing things down here and there, you know. And after a while, I was like, man, I kind of do have, I kind of have all these stories. And I thought this book was going to be more like the fly on the wall, like, hey, uh, you know, this happened here and this happened there. And it it ended up being more about me in these situations with the framework of that. So that's kind of what the book is. I've never written a book, so I don't really know how to. (laughs) I know you've done it, so you're probably like. I have not done it. I thought you did. I thought you. Only in my, like, ambitious fantasies. (laughs) You've written enough. I've written to, some to stuff. put together a book. That's kind of what this was, though. This wasn't like. But I think I didn't sit down and go. All right, I'm going to get from point A to point B with this thing. I just sort of was rambling. But I think the act of like sitting down and doing that is one of the hardest parts, right? It is so hard, and I would not recommend it. To anybody. <laughs> Did you have a, a a discipline that? Well, you know, it, I didn't really. I my my history with writing was that I would I would tour. I'd be in a van. And I had these marble composition notebooks and I just, you know, kept a journal. Like right. that's what we did in the nineties. And yeah. what, you know, we didn't have, I didn't have a computer, I didn't have a laptop. I was sitting down and recording everything that happened. And I went back years later. I still have them. I, I still carry them around. And I was sitting at home with my girlfriend and she was like looking at these things and she's like, you have all these stories in here. Why don't you like, why don't you blog them or something? So I ended up blogging them and I have a friend uh, Chris Gutierrez in who does Dead Stop Publishing in Chicago, and he, I, I just sent him stuff. I'm like, what do, you, what do I do with this? I'm like, should I, should I try to like write a book? And he's like, dude, these stories are great. He's like, why don't? He's like, I'll, I'll put it out. And I had no, I, I didn't have enough to, I didn't have enough put together to actually. I didn't think to actually do a book, so I kept on writing and writing, and we made was no, some there stuff was no, up. There right? was no, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and just, just some filler, you know. <laughs> but I, I didn't have, um, I didn't have a discipline. I didn't have um, like a two regiment. hours every morning. It wasn't like I woke up and like I have to write. Right. My girl would tell she she'd tell me like you have to write today, and I'm like I don't want to write today. I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to do that. I can't. For, I couldn't force it out of myself, you know. And it took me a, a while, and there were gaps of time when. I didn't write anything at all. And Chris would hit me up, be like, hey, how's the book coming along? I'm like, it's great. <laughs> it's, just, it's it's going great. Meanwhile, I'm like, he's like, you know, you send me something tomorrow. And I'm like out at the bar. Right. You know? 
like oh great it's like having homework like being back in high oh, school yeah it sometimes it felt that's what it felt like and it was different than a creative process that i was familiar with from being in a band and you know being in studios with bands and all just it was totally different yeah and i i never thought of myself as a writer i never thought of myself as someone who like anybody would be interested in what i was writing and then so i started putting these things on blogs and you know you get some likes and some re-blogs and you're like oh i'm like people actually think it's kind of cool and they like write me and ask about it so i'm like wait maybe i maybe i am a writer <laughs> Well, you know, it's easier to be when you're writing from your own, uh, with your own voice, like your own point of view, like what you, you kind of like took your journal and expanded on it. Like that's, that's, I find that those are way better than when somebody who leads an interesting life then has like, you know, has kind of a, a co-writer come in and like, I like the voice of, of the person who is actually speaking. But also I feel like maybe some of those co-written you know, co-written autobiographies right. are, uh, they kind of try to direct them into this really sensational, Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I get, I mean, obviously that's what is going to interest people in a book. Right. And like, well, I was, I was there when this happened. And I could say that about a lot of things. I can be like, well, I was there when this, this incident happened or this really cool show happened or whatever. But I kind of unintentionally, it started becoming about me and yeah. how I became who I was and where I where I went with, you know, my personal life, my career, whatever. And around the framework of being on tour with Guns N' Roses or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it, that's kind of. But that's like I, I'm I'm hoping that that's because like I the things that people have seen from the book are more like these kind of hey this time this one time this happened and now it's it. I, I think if they read it, they're like, oh, some of this is really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> but what I was curious about was like, obviously you still do a lot of teching for big bands. I mean, was there sure. a lot of stuff you couldn't write because you're like, I don't want to burn this bridge or something? Um, you know, the the first, the when I first announced that I was going to be taking these stories and putting them in a book and, and having <clears> them published in a very limited run. Which I mean doesn't matter, but uh, the my friend Ben, who got me the who got me on tour with Guns N' Roses, he he manages Tommy Stinson, who was in Replacements and has been playing in Guns N' Roses for the last fourteen years. He manages Tommy, and he saw it, and he was like, "This is great, you know, do this do this thing." And he, he saw some of the stories that were in there, and one of them is specifically my whole account of coming to tour with them and being a huge Guns N' Roses fan growing up. So this is like a big deal. And I know it's not the same band anymore. It's really just Axel. And like, it was kind of like a story about how I met Axel and it was just crazy. Like I, you know, one crazy night and, uh, he read it and Tommy read it. And the first thing they said was, you can't put that in the book. And I was like, why not? I'm like, my my story, I th- I would think my my very short whatever story is. There's no surprises in there. I don't I don't go in there and be like, you know, Axel was late today. Everybody knows that's like right. a, that's like a known fact. Like, there's, I'm not. That's something that people knew, knew already. It's like Guns and Roses parties. I mean, yeah, we were alive during the '80s and early '90s. We know, like, that's not a, that's that's not. That's a, what their songs are about. I can't yeah. believe that Tommy Stinson actually chimed well, in well, on it. He, too. I mean, he was just like, "Hey, listen," and I, I love Tommy, so I, I I respect his opinion. I respect him musically. He's a great. He's a he was a great guy to work for, and I hope at some point I get to work for him again. But he was like, "Hey, it's not coming from me." like if the wrong people catch wind of it you might have some sort of like thing on your hands so i kind of chopped it down a little bit i do have the original somewhere where it's the entire story that i wrote and i kind of get i mean it's the editing process you you you, you go back and you look and you say okay maybe i won't mention that person's name or i won't get into that crazy of a detail but it still makes it an interesting interesting story and it's still kind of goes through the whole thing of like how it, I went from a fan to being 
close to these people and being and being around it every day and kind of I didn't while it was happening I just didn't realize it and everyone's like you toured with Guns N' Roses that's kind of insane like what was what was that like I'm like well we were in, in India and this happened like wait I went to India that's yeah that's, that's kind of wild too you know all but, these like wild little things happen but I mean I'm I'm not gonna detail every single thing in these stories it's like all right this happened and this I, I learned this from this situation and moving on you know but the interesting thing like you never hear firsthand accounts of Axl Rose ever mm-hmm. I mean I feel like I haven't yeah, and, and and that's the kind of thing where I had to like I mean I, I this and this sounds weird, but having been on tour with them, the first tour I did was three months I was away in Europe and I didn't meet him until a month later. Like a month into it. Like people people are asking, like, what's Axel like? I mean, I have no idea. As a performer, I can tell you because he's uh, that's the only time I see him is on Holy the shit. stage. So yeah, so you, you're I'm around this guy and his presence is there and it's just sort of like uh, he's pretty well protected. But then once, once he knew who I was and who I, I, I was able to get, you know, be in touch with him. I mean, it was, uh, it was only a few times really that uh, over the course of a year where we we were like the same parties or the same whatever. And, and I talked to him a bit. It's, it's, it's weird. He's definitely the, that's like the biggest star I've ever been around, but not very, not really that protected. Not like, not impossible to get to. Like, I I would think like it would be more impossible to talk to someone like Kanye West or something, you know, like they're, just, they're so guarded. Right. And Axel's just like, he just wants to hang out. He still likes to have the girls around him and he likes to sit around and smoke his cigars and you know like so you were guitar teching on I was, that tour? I was, yeah i was bass i was bass tech for tommy stinson bass tech. he wanted me to come out with the replacements and i couldn't do it and that was a huge bummer but yeah I disclosure did, they're like my favorite band the replacements. i'm a huge replacements fan man he <laughs> he would talk about it like it wasn't even a plan like it wasn't gonna happen and then it's like i guess came together after the songs for Slim thing, yeah. they started kicking around the idea of doing it again. But he would, you know, he would talk about it. He'd be like, "Man, this Matt's thing." He's like, "Can't wait for that to happen again." Really? Like, he was like, "Yeah." He was like, "He was up." Oh, I think he was always up for the idea of it. And he was like, "He was always like, stick." You know, came kind of gave me the stick around, kid. You know, <laughs> I'll get, I'll get you a job. Yeah, I hope they are. They going to do? Do you know if they're going to do I, any I more shows? I don't know. Uh. I, I hope they do more. I hope they do a full tour. And if they do, I'd love to be involved in it and see it every night. Me too. <laughs> Jonah actually got I, to see him in Chicago, yeah. and but oh, he was yeah. drunk. Like was, as we were talking about yeah, yeah, like, before, I was like, how, people were like, "How was?" I was like, "I think it was good." I don't know. It was like rain. It was raining. <laughs> I'm it was asking wet. him. Well, I'm the songs that they played. He's like, yeah. I well, I, I here, here's the thing. I mean, I I like the replacements a lot. As does anybody my age kind of grew up with that. I've seen the set list and some of it I'm like, that's cool. It's like, oh, that's awesome. They played all that. I'm like, some of it I, I don't, I'm not super familiar with. I think it's, they're a band that if I got to see them, I would enjoy all this, all the stuff that I was really familiar with and everything else would kind of be like a looking at my watch. Like, all right, come on, let's get right, to the, let's right, get to the right, next right. song. See, I know every song, so. <laughs> well, you know. All right, here's an interesting thing. Me, Ian, and one, one of the other guys I work with, who's uh, Josh Newton, I think you had him on the show yeah. a, a, a bit ago. He, uh, We were talking about how even if it's a band we really, really enjoy and we really were like stoked to see them, even if you're so excited and the show starts and as soon as it starts, you're two or three songs in, you're like, all right, when is it? When is this gonna wrap? When is this gonna wrap up? And We've had know, this conversation. Yeah, like, do, do you? Does that happen to you? Like, do you, yeah. I, I feel, I feel it's like forty minutes is kind of like once that's, you. That's it's the cat. Part, I mean, that's the cat. I think even though even because you know we're all in the business, we've been to so many fucking shows, and it's like you can't hold our attention. I feel like I, I do this thing lately where I'll be so excited for a show, and then like three songs in, I'm like. Ugh. This is still going. Like, I'm, like my <laughs> yeah. back hurts. Like, but yeah. I, oh I, my god, I did it. Yeah. Okay, the last time I remember doing this, <laughs> where I was like, like conscious of, like, what am I doing? I, I, I want to say it was at the Jealous Sound show at the Music Hall, and I'm like, and I, I like the Jealous Sound. Yeah, but I was like, 
three or four songs in, I'm just like over at the bar. I'm getting a beer. I'm just like the bartender. We're both like, yeah, you know, kind of <laughs> giving each other like, when is this going to end? You know, it's it's so, two it's records like and an EP. It's so yeah. pathetic, but so true. Yeah, That's amazing. And, <laughs> and, and, and maybe it has something to do with like now I'm, I'm on the working end of it and I have to really pay attention for an hour and a half or in the case of GNR, like three hours. Just yeah, that's three hours of your attention. You know what? That's a lot I'll, of time. You know, also full disclosure, I didn't pay attention the whole time. Like, <laughs> there might have been a couple songs where I left the stage. I don't know. Like I just <laughs> left and let me go to the dressing room, see if they, oh, this to have cheese snacks. And, <laughs> like I, I can't possibly for three straight three. hours be like 100% devoted to what's going on. I don't think anybody can. Yeah, I don't, especially now. Without the aid of drugs. You know? <laughs> yeah. What What is it like logistically, though, working for a band in this, especially that band where this it runs so late all the time? Do you just kind of set up the gear and then wait and sort of... Yeah, I mean, it, it gets... I mean, obviously, it's set up during the day. You know, we get my day is always pretty much the same in the morning. You come in and they do all the lights and the video and all this stuff, and then we're the very last thing that comes in and we do our little sound check and the band does not come in and we all just do our thing. And then, you know, when it's time for the show, like the opening band, we had, you know, we had a bunch of different bands and then we had Thin Lizzy and whoever, you know, whoever else, ZZ Top, we had all these bands opening and they'd finish. And normally on most normal shows, it'd be like a 20 minute to 30 minute gap between the openers and, and what we're doing. And sometimes it would be like over an hour so I would just like sit around and wait and we, you know, sometimes we just like start drinking. <laughs> and you know, you're just, just literally like every show. But are like, the, I mean, right? not every, like he started getting better about it, but I mean. But he's obviously doing it on it, purpose. Like, well, he's, I, I mean, I'm not going to say it's on purpose or an accident or whatever, or people not telling him what time he's supposed to be on. Like whatever it is, it doesn't matter, but we, we would be ready. We would ready. We were ready to go. And sometimes he'd be on time. There were times he was early, which is, you know. That happens too. But for the most part, average, it was kind of late. It's what you expect. Is It's very well documented. It's like complaining about getting sprayed with Fago at like an ICP show. It's totally. Like, yeah. you know, right. you know what's right. going to happen. Right. Right. You know, like, <laughs> I went to this Guar show and I got all this fake blood all over me. I can't believe it. <laughs> right, like, right. Of exactly. course that happened. You know, like, of course you waited. And, and it would, it'd be crazy because people would, it, like, in, in a, lot, a lot of it was overseas touring, almost. All of it, except for the, we did a residency in Vegas. But other than that, it was all Europe and Japan and Southeast Asia, you know, all these, all these places. And in Europe, especially in the UK, it was very, like, people get really rowdy. And it happens, man. When you wait an hour or more late and you're, you know, you're like, well, now I've missed my fucking train and I'm wasted. I've been drinking a thousand, you know, Stellas while I'm waiting, waiting for this to go on. Everyone's just like, now they're, you know, they're kind of throwing things at the stage and you're like, oh, this is going to get ugly. And then they come out and everyone's stoked and then they hang out for all three hours and they, they love it. Right. And that's like the part of it that I'm like, still got it. (laughs) You know, it's intense. He must, you know, they, they must still have it because people will put themselves through the, you know, four or five hours of waiting or whatever to get to it. And they, they sit through the whole thing. So that's more than they did for, you know, a reunion show or Edna's golf. So. <laughs> no, if we were five minutes late, people, yeah, yeah. we're out of here. <laughs> what, this is not just for Guns N' Roses, any of these gigs. Like when you're playing, like say you're teching for some band, you're playing from like 20,000 people and all of a sudden the guitar player is like cuts out. Like what, what do you do? Like, I feel like I would just like panic and run away and quit. You know, everyone, Everyone from the artists to the people working for them have a different reaction to it. I try to, I went through a period when I was very, I was like very new at what I was doing and I, I had been in a band, so I knew these pro- problems come up. Who was the first band you started teching for? For uh, I was for Brand New. Okay. I had ju- I literally just quit my band and I was, went through like a month of feeling sorry for myself. I was living with my my folks again out on Long Island and I was just I was just bumming you know and I was I got and I got a call from Brian Lane he was like hey would you be interested in teching and I was like I had no idea what I've changed strings and like 
put your cases in the trailer and then drink right. with you guys, like, which is kind of what it was at the beginning because I didn't, I didn't really have anything intense to do. But there were times when I'd plug it all in and it just wasn't working right. And, you know, dudes would kind of be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm not that guy. I wasn't that guy yet. I wasn't a problem solver yet. I was kind of still trying to live out this, I want to be on the stage and I want, I want to travel and want to do this thing. But this provided me the opportunity to keep traveling. And I was with my friends and I was like, my friends will never get mad at me. And like, I mean, they weren't mad at me, but like they were kind of, Hey man, you got to sort of step it up. And that's, that was the first, that was the first sort of wake up call. Like, all right, either I'm going to go back to doing a band and take that super seriously and start over again, or I can kind of try to do this. And I learned over time not to freak out so much. But then once in a while, you know, I've had guys I've worked for, different bands who, I mean, before even going into it, they were just like, hey, this guy might be a little bit of a handful. Make sure his shit is tight. Make sure everything is good. And I feel like part of part of what I do involves this weird low-level psychology or being like someone's like, you know, you kind of ego stroke a little bit and do that. And not in a, not in a bad way. Like, I right. don't think anybody's – no one's ever – screamed at me or kicked me or what you know it, like i wouldn't i wouldn't stand for it but some some guys get a little like freak out and you gotta try to have to do everything as quickly and as painlessly as possible and sometimes it happens in front of twenty thousand people and there is literally nothing you can do about it and if they're understanding that they're that this is human error or whatever that everything's cool and after the show you kind i, I kind of go up to them like hey sorry that happened and most of the times it's like Oh yeah, don't yeah, don't even worry about it. Like, that's fine. <laughs> so right. I don't I don't really think about that stuff anymore. But it it happens. It's happens. It happens now. You know. Maybe, but maybe it'll happen my next show. I, <laughs> I heard Joe Troman. That guy can be a real dick. <laughs> Joe Troman is crazy. <laughs> no, I mean there. You know what? And it's 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 whoever is on stage. It is their right. Not they're right, but like they're it's okay if they freak out. I get it. You're <clears throat> they're under pressure to put on this show where nothing bad happens and right. everybody leaves entertained, like that was a great show. And if something bad happens, like, you know, your guitar goes out or an amp blows up or something, and I watched Josh, you know, freak out before, maybe not in front of twenty thousand people, maybe it was two thousand, three thousand people, whatever. And he, I see him over there panicking, so I run over to him. I'm like, "Dude, um, let me help you out. Let me do this thing." You know, like I'm not going to leave him in the dust, you know? right? And um, yeah. So I, I, I'll, I see that happen, and it's like, what are you, you, know, you going to do? Like, they, of course, the guy on stage is going to freak out. Of course, the guy trying to help him is going to freak out. But when the show's over, everything's cool. We all we're all backstage and having a drink. And like, remember when that happened? That was hilarious. <laughs> And you kicked me in the head. And then you kicked me. <laughs> then you kicked me, and then I'm going home. <laughs> See you later. Uh, yeah. That's so funny. I remember us talking a while ago about your life and you being like, "It's so weird because like we'll go to these super fancy hotels and there'll be like a guy that carries your like toothpaste bag to your room for you, so you don't oh. have to." I mean, what's some of like the most just ridiculous <laughs> kind of like stuff you've kind of? I mean that that kind of that kind of thing. I just now it's almost like I ignore it. We'll we'll so we show up to a place and you get out of you know you're flying for hours and hours and you land at this place and they you know you get shuffled off to the hotel and you're just so tired and you just want to get you just take your bag out of the van and one you want to go or want to go up to the room and there's this guy with white gloves trying to carry your suitcase <laughs> to your room and you're like no dude just give me my suitcase <laughs> I I give this to you not only is it going to cost me something when you when I get to the room I'm going to have to give you money it's not going to show up right when I need it like I want to just take a shower and fall asleep yeah. and I don't want to deal with this right now like don't touch my I stuff I carry stuff for a living I know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah and like they they don't understand like the I mean the band guys are just like they get out and you know, they just walk, they walk off, walk off the van. They don't care about their stuff. You know? right. It's like, oh, did I have a suitcase when I left the airport? Right. Like, did I bring clothes with me? I don't even know. Like, 
that's that's kind of that. It's like the difference between uh, like the crew and the and the band. And I, I see it every time we show up, and that happens. But I I don't know. It's just, there's never. There's never like a, 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 it's not a standard. Sometimes we're in a really fancy place where I, I'm just like, I walk in and I'm like, I don't belong here. Like, I feel like I walk in and someone's going to hand me a vacuum cleaner and just be like, all right, <laughs> just vacuum this lobby. You don't belong here. And I'm like, no, it's cool. I'm totally, someone paid for this room for me. I swear. You know? uh, yeah. So, so I don't know. Like, I, I don't like anything specific that sticks out. It's just all like a blur of places where, the breakfast is too expensive. The soap has food in it. It's like you, you show up and it's like, it's like, ooh, that's a, what? It's like a broccoli oatmeal or whatever. Like, is this good? I'm like, is this, you're supposed to put this on your skin? I don't understand, you know? So, yeah. The soap has food. The, the I have to soap, write that down. Soap, take note of it. If you ever, if you ever stay in a like five, six, seven star hotel, they no, always like, exactly what you're talking about. Oh, it's just yeah. hilarious. I wish I knew. <laughs> at least you're staying. Are you in the telling hotel me United Nations didn't? We <laughs> didn't stay at the Four Seasons. We stayed at some pretty night. nice hotels. We stayed at the Nickelodeon Hotel, and in because we went to Disney World. The Nickelodeon Hotel. Nickelodeon has a hotel that's kind of decorated like all Nickelodeon stuff. It's theme based. Theme based. In Florida. It was or uh, either Disney or whatever. it was right outside wherever Orlando. It was in Orlando, I guess. But yeah. We yeah. uh, someone we're, there were nine of us. Someone the, when the guitar players and pianos become the thieves went to check in. They're like, "How many kids do you have with you?" And the guy was, and he was like, uh, none. <laughs> and she was like, gave him a weird look. And he was like, oh, oh it's yeah. just me and my wife or whatever. And then you had to get wristbands. It's like trying to go to, to like go to the pool. So we thought it would be like, <laughs> you're supposed to wink and say, we hear there's plenty here. We, need to bring yeah, any. we thought it would be like this hilarious zany thing. And it had a water park. And then we got no. there. We're like, we can't go in this. Like, it's a bunch of like tattooed, <laughs> dirty guys in their third. I was like, we can't go to this water park. <laughs> we're going to get arrested. Yeah. So then we had this thing where we all just stayed in the room. And like, if someone had to go to smoke, it'd be like, just do it fast. Like, and, and, and let's get out of here. And all night you shared one room and you yeah. said, did you, you did that thing? Yeah, but there were like, th- this room like, had a fold out couch. Yeah. It I was mean, a pretty, it was a suite. I mean, and it had was, like a Rugrats mural on it or something. <laughs> so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> we used to do that thing. Just yeah. The not nine guys in a room. Oh, yeah. Sneak in the back door. You had to. I mean, yeah. even in the 90s and touring, when touring was cheaper, but I mean, we made less money. It would be like, Here's thirty dollars. Thanks for playing. And like, hey man, there's six people in our band, and we haven't eaten today. Well, it looks like we're splitting a bag of shredded cheese, <laughs> you know. And like, we'd go to the Motel Six, and you know, you know the deal. I do. Just kind of like, all right, two people go in, yeah. and then in like an hour from now, <laughs> we'll open the back door, and then like two of you will come in, look real casual. No one bring any bags. Change into what you're sleeping in in the van, you know. Yeah, it's like every band had that fucking down, like the whole way to get away with it. I don't think bands do that. I mean, do, I mean I, by and large, I feel like bands <clears throat> now, the younger bands, kind of want the the real like rock star experience. And you see these bands in like tour buses way they before they should, it, man. way before they should be able to afford it. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess we did okay with my first real band that toured everywhere we did it i think we did well enough that we probably could have gotten a bus at for like a short period of time yeah but you didn't that was the thing no, like we it wasn't cool against it you know i remember we did we toured with rancid in like 94 kind of at the peak of let's go i guess and like i probably they were all in vans man yeah you yeah, know they like totally. they were they would have been embarrassed to get in the bus and that was kind really? of the they attitude were in a van then yeah, oh, they, yeah well they had a couple really nice custom vans we i remember wow. but, i remember seeing them at the tune-in in new haven um, I think they had a gear truck. A veil. It was a veil and the a veil, the queers and rancid, and nice. and, they, and there was just like vans parked out. There was yeah. no tour buses, and it was just vans. And I think maybe they had like a box truck that they were splitting. Yeah, like, no, it was. And that like one was of the, the dudes drove it. You know, it's like, hey, we got this rider truck, and you know, they split <laughs> it, and they were selling T-shirts for like five bucks. And I mean, it was it was pretty punk rock. Yeah, you know? I mean, it was you. It was just kind of, and also, I mean. Because a lot of those bands were, you know, it was kind of like the turnover where where bands were actually like, they were making money on the road, these bands, you know, like, whereas yeah. like the major, the real old school major label bands, your thing was like the road, the tours were just purely promotional. So it was like, you were going to try and make money on your records. 
So whatever made it more comfortable, like you, you didn't, you, but like bands like Ranson, they made so much money on merch and on touring that oh, like yeah. they wanted, you know, the idea was to keep the keep costs down because you'd come back from the road with like a lot of money. We, we had a lot, we, we took away a lot from that. Like we, we, we saw stuff like that. We're like, all right, well, when we do this, we're going to do the same way. We're going to get a van, get a trailer, <laughs> do the, do the, the, our merch as cheap as possible because that's what kept people coming back to see yeah. us. Not not saying that there was thousands of people, but it it's funny because I bands now will sell I don't know if you sell forty fifty thousand records those bands will like we got to get a bus and we got to do this thing and my band sold forty thousand records back in the nineties and we were like you know sleeping on people's floors yeah and because it was that was nothing because bands were still selling millions of records of like you know fifty thousand was like your first week yeah. you know that took us a year or two to do and i'm i'm still wondering i'm like were there like way more people listening we, there was no way to gauge it because we didn't have the you didn't have spotify and all that and like way to track all these str- how many times did someone stream the song and right how many how many downloads did we have here and how many people were burning copies of our you know we didn't there's no way to know so you know twenty thousand, thirty thousand records might have been like way more people listening to it yeah i'm sure it was yeah and it, it, it it's kind that's I feel like that was that's like lost now forever. Like I'll never know. <laughs> I'll never what could have been, you know. Do you miss playing in a band? Um, sometimes I do and I'm constantly on this thing where I'm I I wanna start something and I wanna play I wanna play music. And I have occasionally here and there played with I my my girlfriend's a musician. She she plays out, she she does um she she like books smaller venues and stuff and she'll go play and there's been a couple times i've just i'll play with her you know and like it's not like a huge crowd but i i get the feeling like oh i'm up here playing again i'm like that's kind of cool and i get the the itch to do it again and i want to i want to be creative and i have all these ideas and i i'll like record something on my own and i'm like "Ah, i'll never do it but obviously being around these all these different bands all the time you get you get the itch to do it you get you want to do it you want to you want to be in front of in front of people being like hey i'm i'm the singer now and i'm the bass player or whatever that's always what i, I was always a singer or bass player <laughs> but uh whatever you know like if i do it i do it if i don't whatever i talk about it with with lots of different guys for a while i was talking to you you know mike ireland Mikey from I Am the Avalanche. No, no, no. He, well, he, he, we talked about doing something a while ago. I don't know. We just kind of forgot about it. I always talk about doing something. I wanted to do something with Justin Skirty. Kind of like we, it started out as we wanted to do a Rocket from the Crypt Halloween cover band. Uh-huh. Then I was like, wow, I kind of just want to do a, a band in that vein. That's like kind of a, a thing that I'd be into doing, you know. But I, I just, I kind of, I, I miss it. But I don't miss the struggle sometimes. Yeah, no. Yeah. Didn't we talk about doing a Descendants cover band we at one about point? Yeah, we, <laughs> here's the thing. It always starts as a, as a Descendants cover band or a Rock from the Crypt cover band. Yeah, and yeah. we talk about that. We'll sit at the bar. We'll talk about that. And then just get shit hammered and forget. Like the next day I wake up, I'm like, I could never do that. Like, <laughs> I, I can't imagine like doing 10 songs that aren't mine. Descendants yeah. is pretty ambitious too. That is, that yeah. is very, that is a very ambitious one. And you, you think it's not. And then you're, you listen to it. You're like, especially for bass. <laughs> yes. I listen to it. And I'm like, Oh my God, I can't do that. I mean, I probably could. You probably could, but it would take, take some it would take some, it would take some effort. Yeah, you know? I agree. I, I always, I always toy with those ideas and, and just kind of, and then, you know, and then I'll, I'll end up being like, Hey, I got to do, I got to go on tour and do this or I'm in the middle of writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I got to write my book today. <laughs> Don't have time to practice those descendants covers. <laughs> Did you like, get the, the text Jonah from Steven? I've gotten so many texts. I just haven't been checking out. <laughs> he says he's checking in with us. He said, Tommy Stinson told Colin Paul. West, oh no, told Colin, Paul Westerberg is a bigger diva than Axel. <laughs> wow. But um, since you never really work with Paul Westerberg, right? It's well, I, I didn't, I didn't, I've never even met Paul, but we, you know, when that, when that, 
the opportunity first presented itself to work for the replacements when Tommy was like, you know, you're my dude. I want you to come out with the replacements. And he told me it was three shows over the course of like two months. I was like, I can't do it. Right. But I, I, I was considering it. So right away I'd like look up Paul. And I, I obviously I know Paul who Paul Westerberg is I'm like, is he, a, is he difficult? Like, I don't know. And like, from what I've read, he can be, he can be difficult, but in a way I'm like, Hey, you know, he's a, this is a super influential artist. Like, they all have their quirks. Right. You know? They all have their. Of, they all have their thing. He also has a dyslexic heart, which must be tough. <laughs> I was waiting. Just, I was like, is he gonna just? Is he gonna one pun? It's at some point in the day, we've one, been here. Yeah, that's, just, I don't know what your problem is. That's the first sl- one. That was slowing down. It, it, listen, it's hard to work puns from the single soundtrack into conversation. <laughs> He's like, what can I? What can I do in this? You know, in this situation, what's appropriate? Single soundtrack, perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, so are these Tommy, guys, Tommy hasn't squealed though. No, he's, I mean, he's, uh, Tommy, Tommy was easy enough to work for. He likes to, you know, he likes things a certain way. Like every other artist that I've worked for, he likes things to be in order and he doesn't, doesn't like fuck ups and he doesn't like his band. He's a musical director for GNR. He's right. like, he's, he's the guy for 14 years. Yeah, he's been, he's been in the crazy. band. This is crazy. He's been in the band longer than any other original member of the band was. He's been the bass yeah, player. Right. He's been he's been in the band longer than Duff was ever in the band. And Duff was the bass player from the beginning. Yeah. And I'm not he doesn't make it he doesn't make him any more original or anything. Right, but right. like that's an interesting fact at this point. Well, yeah, I didn't know that. And he's the only other he's the only other bass player they've ever had. They've gone through dozens of guitarists and they've had bunch of drummers and keyboard players well dizzy still dizzy reed is still in the band and yeah he's been he's been in the band since 90 90 whatever 91 92 i don't know like oh really that would that would make it 20 something years my math is really (laughs) spot on today like i think whatever the math is yeah 99 is when i think tommy was joined the band played on chinese democracy did the whole thing i mean he's he has stories i mean this is a, a guy who I mean, he's been playing and he played, started playing when he was like 12. Yeah, exactly. You know, and living that life, living that like extremely hard. Yeah. Drinking Minneapolis kind of, you know, like I, I didn't know people. I've worked for Minneapolis bands. And like, I know that, that, that personality It's it's very specific to that part of the country. And it's, he lives it, man. He's like, he's like for real. He's like the most for real, like to me, like the most legendary dude I've ever worked with and it's 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 rad to know him you know it's rad to be on that you need to it. next time you talk to him tell him that i'm waiting for the bash and pop uh reunion i fucking <laughs> that's the one thing loved... we never discussed was bash and pop. <laughs> i loved that and the perfect stuff i thought those records were awesome man. you know he also played okay do you remember i want to say the name of the band was fuzz bubble was it the band that okay it was put together by I don't know that. By, okay, it was put together by P. Diddy to play the rock and roll remix of "It's All About the Benjamins." Do you remember this? It was no, like, no, oh, no. oh my god! <laughs> don't you need to lo- you need to look this up. Uh, I will, dude. <laughs> and he's in the video for it. He's in the video at the beginning. It's like this. The video takes place at this prom, and and Tommy Stinson is the. It's Tommy Stinson. Dave, I want to say Dave Grohl playing Holy drums. Shit. Dave Grohl playing drums, Tommy Stinson, guitarist. The guitarist might have been Slash. I don't know. I, we, <laughs> you making this up? I am not making this up. I, this is a real thing. I used to do acid, but I don't do it anymore. <laughs> it is not a flashback. This is a real thing. Tommy Tommy was involved in this thing. It was like I want to say ninety eight or ninety nine, right when he started. Fuzz bucket. Fuzz bubble. I want to say. Oh man, if I remember, '90s power pop band from Long Island, New York. No, no, this is something different. No, no, no. There it is. The band, yes, and Tommy. I'm like way off the mic, <laughs> but I'm telling you, Tommy Stinson was involved in this thing. He played on one song with these guys, and they did back up P Diddy on their uh, on his that song, all about the Benjamins remix. Wow. 
And, and it was weird because I, I, that I'd locked away in my brain so long ago. And one day we were like, we were like in Australia or something like that. And I just popped in there. I was like, wait a minute. And I asked him about it and he was like, yep. And I, and he told me the whole story about it. And I was like, whoa, like, where did that, how did that happen? Like, it just like came, like just came rushing back and I remembered the video and if, Real weird. If Tommy ever comes on this podcast, we'll definitely ask him about it. Oh, de- you definitely. That's going to be the first thing. Like, so <laughs> tell me about your time playing with Fuzzbubble or whatever, whatever the incarnation of the band was then. I don't know if it was exactly that, but yeah, it's pretty crazy. It is crazy. Um, I always think it's interesting when someone goes from kind of like the, the punk, that world to like Guns N' Roses, wh- whatever, like Primus, like being on like that mainstream level. I mean, how much of your kind of progression in teching do you think is due to like technical stuff and how many of it's just being like a nice person that people want to have around on tour? Well, I, I think my, my roots in punk rock and hardcore, I'm saying like my, my nineties hardcore, uh, Long Island roots kind of come through sometimes when I'm, when I'm working for these bands that are, they're a little bigger and they, and they're used to things a certain way. And I'm just like, well, we can do this for this cheap and whatever. And, you know, I'll, I'll take, I'll take something to their management and be like, well, we can do this and this. And they're like, oh, well, yeah. Like, why didn't we think of doing it that way? And I'm like, do I just have these weird punk street smarts that <laughs> people who are in the, they, you know, when they've been doing something for so long, they kind of lose touch with doing things on a, on a very, like a grassroots level. And it's, and it's not their fault. I mean, it's like, they've just been doing it for so long. Like, I, I look at a band like Anthrax. Obviously they came from, the metal scene in New York, punk, punk rock, metal, whatever. It was, I mean, way more separated then. Right. But I mean, they came, they came up from, you know, you can read the history of it and watch documentaries about it, behind the music, whatever. And that's where they came from. And now, you know, Scott's a, Scott Ian is a, is a very popular, you know, you, people recognize him and, Absolutely. you know, he still, I think he still has that, like those, that, those grassroots, beginnings in him but he's still like you know he's flying from show to show and he's staying in the nice hotels and he's a total foodie he goes you know he was like goes to fancy dinners i think he still has it in him and i i feel like some people still they have it in them but they kind of slowly lose touch with it over time and i i i don't know if my my roots in in that is what gets me my gets me my jobs or if i'm just nice guy or I'm funny to be around or I just have good skills on my job. I don't know what it is, but I feel like sometimes those, those punk rock roots are what get me that keep, that keep me around. So people are like, well, he's kind of like, he's resourceful in a very, in that very kind of like, I can, I can save you money kind of way. Right, you know what right, I mean? right. Because that's where we came from. We came from, you know, touring on, you know, twenty dollars and fifty dollars a day, and I, if I take that to a band that can spend that in a matter of seconds, they're just like, "Wait, we can do this for cheap?" Like, right? Sure. I mean, if, how, how do you not know this? You know, like, did you forget? And I, I mean, of all the bands that I work for, who haven't really, ha- I'm still in touch with that sort sort of thing. Like Fall Out Boy, those guys are still very in touch with their with their um their backgrounds like hard, they you know they came out of suburban hardcore scene in you know the 2000s early you know late 90s early 2000s that's where they came from and regardless of what people think of them now like pop rock band or whatever like those dudes like Pete and and Joe can and Andy and all all four of them can talk about the about that that uh that scene very knowledgeably and people would be surprised, you know, and, and, and not I me. Mean, some people aren't because they know they came from the, you know, they came from all the bands they were in, Arm Angelus, whatever. Um, where was I going with this? Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, go, I'm going off track right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm like really like, kind follow, of go, yeah. like, we need a little. No, no, I got to, yeah, rein it in a little bit. Um, don't rein it in. Don't rein it in at all. Rain no. it in less. Okay. But like, they, so they, you know, they have that understanding. So when I, you know, I come along, it's like they, I know they had other people working for them that have kind of just been like, you know, you know, big shot 
tour manager or big shot, whoever, you know, whoever they are. And they're just like, well, this is how the, this is how the pros do it. This is how we're going to do it. And I'm like, you know, you can do it this way or you can do it the kind of punk rock way. And we, and we do things, anything from like arena shows to, we did, what are the comeback shows? What did we do? Oh, the Webster hall basement or subterranean in Chicago or, um, or the Victoria's secret fashion show. Or the Victoria's Secret <laughs> Fashion Show, which was just Ooh. really, it was a, what a difficult day. Yeah, uh, that sounds awful. It was terrible. <laughs> you know what? We probably have the par- only terrible thing about it is that it was, it was just a long day. Yeah, you, know, you just get in there and you're sitting around and, and these, you know, they're they're TV people. There's it's all TV people and like they're just. Let's let's rehearse it again. Let's rehearse it again. We got to time it. We got to. This has got to happen. These people need to walk out of this. I'm like, oh my god, like. <laughs> And the guy, the, the band, I can tell is like at this point, like how many times we have to do this? Like how many times we have to play this same song over and over again while stand-in models? Well, it's not even the real models right. walking out during rehearsal. <laughs> it's just some some girl wearing a, a sign around her neck with fake cardboard wings on, just walking down the <laughs> aisle, which is kind of amazing, you know. <laughs> just out there, I'm like, you don't look like whoever that famous Victoria's Secret model <laughs> is Brazilian model. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> but it was, it was interesting to see that too. That was a whole other world. We were all, I think everybody involved from the band and management and crew and everybody, we were like in our little pink curtained dressing room, just kind of going, what the fuck is going on right now? I'm like, have you been over to the side where the models are? It <clears throat> smells so nice over there. <laughs> like, see, our p- room smells like burritos and dudes. <laughs> like, this this may just be my fantasy, but I picture, don't they, are they just like changing in front of you and stuff or is that not really no, happening? I mean, I, I would think, I, I thought that too. And we kind of, we kind of, <laughs> you know, we were, that. yes, they do. You know, everyone out there, I just want you well, to know the, that's the actually band, what happens. The band, like they, they split them up to enter, like they had Pete and, Andy enter enter on one side, and they had the other the other two guys, uh, Patrick and Joe, entered on, entered on the other side. Okay. And there was like this big backstage, like this, you know, it's a t- crazy production. There's hundreds of people back there, and we, Pete is on the other side. We did two tapings. And the first taping, I, I run over there, I hand him his bass, and I kind of take off, and he's like, "You're gonna hang around?" I'm like, "No, it's like super weird over here because that's his side was where all all of the models are waiting, and then it's like." cameras and they're all posing and i'm like this just doesn't seem real right now this i'm like inside of a photo shoot this is very strange i'm out of here it like i said it smells really nice over here but it's not (laughs) this is not i don't it's really pink over there and the other side's like a little darker and grittier and there's like stage hands and i'm like that's my world (laughs) i'm gonna go hang out over there and and the second take people you know before it came out he was like dude just hang out with me for a second. He's like, I feel real strange. He's like, you kind of left me by myself. And I'm like, he's like, who, like, no one wants to talk to this little elf guy over here. You know, they're like, what is he doing over here? You know? Cause I mean, at that point there's so much going on that the music and the performers are like almost, they were like secondary. They're just, they're just coloring to the whole other thing that's going on. Like it could have been anything happening on that stage. And people were just like, it's a it's a huge fashion show, huge production. There's all sorts of shit going on, and yeah, that was an experience. That was a weird one. I'm sure. Yeah, you know, and I've had weird, like weird things have happened over the years that I'm just like in my pocket. I'm like, well, that happened, and this one was definitely like that'll well, be in the next book. It, it's awesome next, because <laughs> bands are you know, it, I've seen I've been in these similar situations because a band you don't. You know, you get you're it's very insular, you know, and you're you're doing the same thing every night. You're kind of dealing with the same people every night, but you're this little family. And so when you take that and drop it into like this alien situation like that, it's really the biggest, like most cocky, confident people suddenly get just really like you're out of place. And and it's Yeah, you just feel you feel I mean listen, what what you're gonna see what you'll see on on the when they broadcast this thing or whatever, like Obviously, it's a band on stage, and they're they're confident, and they're they've been doing stuff like this for years now. Right. I mean, they like went you know you go from being like I said, you have these punk rock roots, and you you can easily switch it on, switch it on and off. You can go play in a basement, 
and do this cool little basement show or whatever, like a little tiny club show, or you can go on this major nationally televised production with, you know, famous models and celebrities and lights and all the stuff. And it's the same, you have that same vibe. You're still performing. It's still the same thing, but yeah, the, the, the minutes leading up to it, you're kind of just back there like, what the fuck am I involved in? How did my little band <laughs> that was in the back, you know, playing in the back room of some VFW hall all of a sudden is now, you know, all of a sudden is now doing these crazy productions and whatnot. You probably get this a lot too. People are probably like, how did you, how can I do what you do? Like, I feel people come to me and they're like, I want to write about music. How do you do it? And I'm just like, I, I was going to ask you that. How do I write? I'm like, now that I have this book, I should start writing well, I, more. I feel like I don't know what to, because I'm like, I don't know. I did a zine. Then I did this. Like, I'm just like, I don't know how you would you know, do, do it now. I just don't. I just had a path that existed in a certain time. I, I feel the same. Okay. Any, any sort of thing that people create. When it was like, how, I'm like, how do you write a book? And I had to ask someone who had written several books, which is Chris. I was like, hey. I'm like, I know you, you're a friend of mine. I'm like, how do you, how did you do this? Or I can go to you. How did you write, how did you end up writing for AP or how did someone I know make a movie? Like I, I like Justin from motion city. Like he's, he's made move like things like that mystify me. And I'm, so I, I feel the same way. Like people come to me and they're like, how did you, like, how did you get into doing what you do? And I, sometimes I'm for, I, I kind of blank for a second. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I was persistent. I didn't, I didn't really think it would lead to this. I didn't, I thought honestly, when I first left my band, my, when I left reading show 2003, I thought I'm going to do this temporarily. This is like a summer job. I'm going to go out on tour with this band and I'll do this. I'll save some money and I'll start my next thing. And it was kind of the same thing that happened to me. When I dropped out of college and started touring with my band and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to take a year off of being in school. My folks were like, go ahead, do that. And I, here I am, you know, it's like 20 years later and I don't remember how it all happened. It just sort of like things just sort of fell in place. I think it was a series of, I'm going to get back to that later. I'm going to, I'm going to get back to being in a band or I'm going to get back to school or who knows? I mean, I don't know where this writing thing will lead me. I don't know if it's going to be like, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try this writing thing. I'll get back to teching in a little bit. I mean, I don't see that happening. It's like, I don't know where the money is in that really. But I mean, how did I, how did I get into it? I just, I mean, I knew some people, they asked me for a, a favor and I did it. I mean, I, I went out and I went out and tried it. And like, there was no, there's never any harm in trying something new. And that's how, that's like, I kind of how I felt about the writing thing too. It was like, I don't know if I'm any good. I don't know if anybody's going to read it. I don't know if I'm going to make enemies out of it. I don't know if people that I know are going to kind of be like, well, that's not exactly how it happened. I'm like, well, it you know, kind of did. And I, that's my memory of it. And that's what I wrote down in these books. And that's what I've published. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how I don't know how I I get to the places where I am where how I how I how these this path has taken me to where I am today but I guess that the takeaway from it is don't turn anything down just try it you know like I tried being in a band I did I was like at first I was like I don't know if I could sing in front of people I did it and I ended up doing that for many years I don't know if I can work for friends of mine and whatever I've gone out to work for some of the biggest bands in the world. Now I'm kind of just doing this writing thing and I was very resistant to it. I was very, I I was like, I don't, I can't fucking write. I remember being in Chicago with Megan and she was like, we're sitting in a car. She's like, what's going on with your writing? And I'm like, you're going to fucking ask me about this right now. Like, can we just go eat and like, not <laughs> like, I don't want to be like bothered about the writing thing. And then I just, it's just like really stuck with me. Like, she was like, you're, you're doing, you're doing right now what you said you would, you, you tried being a man, you tried doing the tech thing. Why don't you try this? And I think that's, if anybody asked me how I ended up where I am today, what I've, what I do for a living, whatever, I was just like, 
random chance and just trying something new, you know, just try, just try it. You don't know if you suck at it, go do something else. <laughs> like try it. It's like, Hey, you know, I, 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 Hey, I was a terrible tech and now I can, <laughs> now I can go back and try to be in a band again. Or if, you know, like I'm that's what happened to me. I teched once for Thursday, <laughs> handed Steve a guitar with no strap. Nice. <laughs> he had to go like back, it. change it, and that was my last teching experience. I tried it. He did, and it yeah. didn't. It didn't pan out for me. No, it, it, try and everything. If, it, and if you if you do that, if I did that now, they'd be like, "Come on, man!" <laughs> right? Like I may mean, might just be like slipping the mind, but you know, whatever. I don't know. It's I I kept on thinking. I'm like, I'm not gonna do this forever. And I, I hope that it's at some point, I, you know, I can take this and turn it into something else, turn it into a different, a different career. And I've always have all these different ideas for different things I'm, I'm trying to do. And, uh, you know, I, I, I li- I'd like to keep, I like to keep on that path and, and saying like, all right, well, this writing thing is working out. I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep, I'll just keep writing. And if, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, there's always Guns N' Roses. <laughs> keep doing that or keep doing the fall boy thing or whatever and you know like can always go back to that so you know it's kind of where i am all right that was brian diaz <laughs> um very interesting guy brad stop laughing at me uh check out his book thousand miles to nowhere you can buy it online Check out our website. We'll have a link to it. Also, I wanted to mention if you need some work done on your guitar, Brian is an amazing guitar tech, and I think he does setups and that type of stuff when he's home. So find him on Twitter or something and hit him up. He'll do a really good job. Question. Sure. To the two guitar players sitting in front of me, you can't set up your own guitar? Like, explain this to me. No. It's kind of like tuning your car. You could learn how to do it, but... But you want to get, like, the truss rod adjusted. You want the action perfect. People that do it a lot, like, all the time can do it quickly and very well. And also, you know, there's so many variables. Like, the guitar itself is a variable. The kind of strings you use, like, your particular preference for... There's so many variables. Yeah. Like every time you change something, like if you change the string height, that changes the intonation. Do drummers do that? I don't, drummers don't do that. They're supposed to. They're supposed to tune their freaking drums. And there's, and there's also ways that you can keep your drums. Um, I mean, I know how to tune drums. I know drummers do it, but I don't think drummers go and pay someone to tune all their shit, do they? No, but there's maintenance you can do to drums to keep them, you know, to make sure that they haven't warped, to make sure that the heads are completely level, you know, that they're flat. You know how you top. do that? Light a match. You ever seen and that trick? Just burn the drums no. down and go get it's a the coolest thing ever. Whenever you dent a drum head, you light a match and you just lightly wave the match over it, and it'll it sucks the oxygen out and it pops out the dent in the drum head. You got to be careful you don't burn your. I'm fucking not talking about the head. I'm talking about the shell. Oh, the shell itself. Ooh, they get dents in those too. <laughs> no, but the they can warp a little bit so that the so that they're not totally level on top. Oh, huh. I feel like Brian, if you're listening to this, he's probably like, oh my God, why are these guys talking <laughs> about so, this? They don't so know what they're talking so about. <laughs> everything. I just, I've always been, con- I've always been interested with the setup. But I can so, do a, yeah, I can do a setup. I mean, it's like, you know, like you can, uh, can you know, do it better for someone than for you? Do you feel you no, can- no, I, no, I can set up my guitar basically, but you know, then if I take it to somebody that's really good and I say, here's the little things that I'd like to have, it'll come back. I, I took one time, I took a guitar to a guy and I used, I was very specific about the strings that I like to use. And he was like, you can't use these strings with this guitar. He's like, it's just, you're not going to, it's just not the best playability for the guitar and for the way the neck interacts with the strings. And he set up, up with strings that he thought would best fit it and it definitely he was right yeah like, but sometimes like i remember we were playing a big festival and i went to buy like new chords i was like i'm gonna get all new chords like blah 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 and i was like it's a really big stage of anything longer than 20 feet and the dude was like Pfft. and i was like what he's like longer than 20 feet man it's gonna really start affecting your tone and i was like all right like i get it i get what you're saying but like how much <laughs> how much is another foot on a co- cable gonna affect my tone right. like but it's like Sometimes I just can't deal with that kind of like that kind of attitude when you get so. It's called geek level. 
Yeah. It's nonsense. Like, who sets up Jeff Beck's guitar? You're not recording with the damn thing. Yeah. Let me tell so, you, I've recorded with 50-foot cords, so, like, fuck whatever. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out that, like, there was such a big back line that, like, I had, like, three feet of stage space anyway, so it didn't <laughs> matter. But it's like, let's everyone relax with this. But tech tip... Talk to Brian about those, but ours, I guess, is put your instrument near fire and it will fix it. <laughs> yes. Essentially. Pretty much. That's exactly so, what I'm trying to tell you. Some free advice. Mm-hmm. You can take that however you will. Take and it. Enjoy yeah. your success. And we are not liable for whatever happens. Facebook.com slash going off track. Twitter.com slash going off track. PayPal.com slash going off track. Oh, that's a good one. No, mm-hmm. actually, it's, what is that connected nice. to? I don't know. It's connected to the website. Donate it's connected there. to our website. Do not donate it to some weird backslash site that <laughs> yeah. I just made up. Great. Sorry. We've just lost billions of dollars. It I'm is sure. nice to have someone else to blame, though, for our own shortcomings. That is true. Um, <laughs> what else? Brian's what, cool. Brian's If awesome. you can afford him, hire him. If you can afford band. him, yeah. Take him out on the road and uh, check out the reunion show and Edna's Goldfish, his old bands. They're pretty good and uh and ask him can, why a guitar player has to have so many damn guitars on stage when he never changes one yeah ask him i don't know ask brian brian knows everything and we will be back soon thank you bye